You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Father, we're here to glorify your son, whom you sent on our behalf, in our place, to die, born to die. And so we rejoice, like the angels, because of the perfect plan that you, before creation, before eternity, you you ordained that this is the way it would happen, that you would one day create man, that you would one day have to rescue man, uh, and that you did it for us. And so we, we praise you, and we worship together this Christmas Eve. Father, we think of those that Christmas is hard this year. There's many in our congregation that are just mourning, that they're still waiting. Uh, we know that there, we have many that are, are, are in our, our midst that are missing because they're overseas, guarding us right now, protecting us. We pray for them, far from their families. Um, but we know that you are sovereign over all and that though they may be halfway across the world, you are king there as you are king here. And we all worship you together with one accord, as we just sang. And so as we just approach your word, just for a moment, give me words to say that I don't have in myself. Just fill me with your spirit so that Christ may be exalted and honored tonight. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Now you're like happy. See, you're all sitting. Not all of you. You brave men in the back. And those in the video venue right now, uh, you guys got seats, so... Well, the wait is almost over. This morning when I got up, one of my kids came up to me and said, you know what tomorrow is, Dad? I said, no, what is it? It's Sunday. What is it? Well, I got to go to Walmart? What do I need? No. You know what tomorrow is? I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, Christmas, yeah. A couple months ago, probably like October, they gave us their Christmas lists. There's been several... uh, amendments since then, um, several uh, revisions. It's like been revised more than the Bill of Rights, but it's, it's done now. And we went down to Bass Pro just to talk it over with Santa a couple times. And here we are tomorrow morning, Christmas. The wait is almost over. And this idea of waiting, it is, <coughs> excuse me, it's just part of who we are, right? How much of our lives are spent Waiting. It's a huge piece. Some of you are going to go out to eat. That's why you came to early service. And you're going to go to a restaurant. They're going to say, 15, 20, 30 minute wait. 
right? Some of you are going to get on the road tomorrow. You're going to go right into South Carolina as soon as 95 crosses there. And because they don't know how to make three-lane roads, you're going to wait <laughs> for a while, right? And, and then some of you are going to take stuff back on Monday, and you're going to wait in line. And, and, and it's part of who we are. We wait, right? So nerds like me were waiting for an entire year for a certain movie that came out last week, and then we went and saw it, right? And, and the whole thing about waiting is, is there's all sorts of waiting. And the big question you got to ask when you're waiting, or even at the end of that way, was, is the wait worth it? I mean, is it really going to be worth it for you to eat at Applebee's and wait for an hour tonight? I can tell you right now, it's not. <laughs> Just not. It's not worth it. But you got to ask the question, and with all this waiting, was it worth the wait? For the teenager who can't wait to get his permit and then he gets his license, he takes that first solo drive and you're like, was it worth it? And he's like, yes, it was worth the wait. And now all the moms driving minivans are like, I don't want a license. I don't need a license. I don't want to drive ever again. And so the, is it worth the wait? All right, we're going to look at a, just a couple individuals tonight in our text who are waiting. And, and their waiting's a little bit different, right? Their waiting is the hard kind. When there's no date, when it's not 15, 20 minutes, when it's not, okay, it's a traffic jam, the movie comes out here. They're, they're, this, the worst kind of waiting, and we all have seen this too, is that open-ended, don't know when, don't know where, don't know how waiting, but we're just, we're just kind of in the middle of it. And we're going to see their waiting come to an end, and we're going to see their response. And, and, and if you ask them, was it worth the wait, they would say, Absolutely. And all I want to do tonight, as we kind of look at their text, is join in with their celebrating. As they, they would tell us, it would scream, it was worth the wait. And so if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. There's Bibles in, in some of the seat pockets in front of you. We'll have it on the screen too. Uh, we as a church have been working through the gospel of Luke. And so we're just going to do the next part tonight. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 22 to 38. As we're in our series, we've called it Fall and Rising, and we'll see why tonight our very text deals with that idea. Um, but where we were last week, where David preached last Sunday was, the angels have arrived and told the shepherds that the Messiah has been born. They run, they worship the newborn king. Uh, and that's kind of where we left off. And so we're just going to pick up right there in verse 21. And let me read verse uh, 21 to 24. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And so this is very uh, this is a very Jewish passage. And remember, he is writing to a Gentile audience, but there's a, lot, a couple things going on here real quick. Number one, Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day like every other Jewish boy had been for 1,800 years before him, right? Eighth day, it was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So that happens, that his mom has to go up to Jerusalem for this purification ceremony because in, in that culture, uh, the law said that a woman who gave birth to a boy, she was ceremonially unclean for 40 days, Right, so, so after 40 days, she had a boy, she would go up and she would bring an offering. Right? And that offering uh, would be normally a lamb. Right? For every other family, it was a lamb. But it, notice it says that they bring two young pigeons in verse 23 and 24. They, they bring two turtle doves. 
And you say, well, why didn't they bring a lamb? Because they were so poor and there was a provision in the law that if you were so broke that you couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring two birds because two birds were about one-tenth of the value of a lamb. So if a lamb cost you 100 bucks, then two pigeons would cost you 10 bucks. And it just shows you how poor Mary and Joseph were. They couldn't even, they couldn't even afford a lamb. And then the third thing they were doing was every firstborn of anything in Israel, whether it was a goat, a sheep, an ox, a boy, was to be presented and offered in the temple. And if it was a lamb, you would sacrifice it. If it was a kid, you obviously didn't do that, but you would pay five shekels and redeem that child. So that, and, and it's all a picture of everything is God's, but we're giving him the first. And you say, well, why does Luke go into all this like kind of cultural stuff? He's a Gentile audience. Because he wants to explain that this one who he's going to talk about for the next 20-something chapters is not only the one who fulfills all the law, but he is the actual fulfillment of the law. So he is circumcised the eighth day because he is the perfect Israelite. And he is the one who was promised it would come from the seed of a woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, the seed of Judah, the seed of David. And that's him. And that he, he was living this perfect fulfillment of the law. So he was offered the way it was supposed to, but he came from a humble background. He wasn't, he wasn't a prince. He wasn't born in a palace, which was still would have been stooping for him since he's God, but he was born broke as a joke. Parents had nothing. And, and, and to show that he was the firstborn of all creation, this idea where he was offered back. And it's the beautiful thing about this is that whole, that whole model and command came from the Passover, where Israel was rescued out of Egypt. God's wrath passed over as they had blood from the lamb on the door. And so after that, God said, everything that's first in your family belongs to me. And it came from that day. Well, now you have the one who ultimately is the Passover lamb sitting there in Jerusalem. This whole thing pictures him, and there he is, and his parents are doing everything that is required of them for the law. And it's then we meet our first person who's, who's a waiting guy. His name is Simeon. Pick up in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem, and his name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting. He's waiting. What is he waiting for? The consolation of Israel. You could, you could translate it the rescue or the, the redemption Remember, Israel for 700 years at this point had been slaves. They had been a conquered people, first by Babylon and Assyria and all these other people, and now it's Rome. They were enslaved, waiting to be rescued, right? And so this guy is waiting for that, and he's, he's a unique individual because the Holy Spirit is upon him, which is very rare for Old Testament saints. And a key piece of information, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So what, we don't know how, whether it was a dream, whatever, whatever happened, he knows I can't die until I see the Messiah, which is pretty cool because you're like, I'm not gonna die today, so I don't need to wear my seatbelt, all right? I can swim, I don't have to wait 20 minutes after eating, I can just jump in the water, right? I'm walking across the crosswalk when it writes red. He knows he cannot die until he sees the Messiah. Right? So, so he just lives it with that confidence. And so what he would do, would go to the, he would normally go to the temple. And so we see in the next verse, he came in the spirit into the temple. Right? And I don't know what this looks like. I mean, the temple is a fairly big building. I'll show you a picture of a model of it. But I don't know what his kind of normal pattern was. I don't know how he was going to know who was Messiah, who was not. Did God kind of whisper in his ear? But I just think he, he would go and he'd look. He'd people watch. He'd be sitting there and just watching. Does he know he's looking for a kid? Does he know, is he looking for an older man? He doesn't know. He just, he's kind of watching. And so he gets to the temple one morning. He is there before Mary and Joseph show up, the text tells us. Okay, and, and while he's there, then Mary and Joseph kind of 
shuffle in. And they bring in the child Jesus. There he is, 40 days old, in a little you know, Hebrew sling or something. And there's just this little poor couple, dirty, young, right? And there's, he, he's just over there, people watching. And at some point, I don't know what, something clicks. I don't know, you know if, if the spirit whispers in his ear, right? He, he sees the couple, right? And Mary, I'm wondering if Mary and Joseph are like, dude, what's that old dude staring at us for? Dude, Joseph, Joseph, he's coming. He's co- Joseph, Joseph, he's coming. And an old boy makes a beeline for this couple and he snatches up the baby out of her arms and he starts hugging and holding the baby and dancing around yelling, now I can die. Now, do not pra- don't try to do this in our nursery because you will be tased. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just, it's a good way to get tackled. But, but he just kind of snatches the baby before they know what happened and, and, and he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. I, I can die. Just like you said, according to your word. This is exactly what you promised me, right? Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is your deliverance. This baby is the one who will redeem us, who will rescue. And then he makes this stunning statement that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for you, glory to your people, Israel. Now, the second part is not such a re- revolutionary idea, glory to your people, Israel, because where are they standing? They're in the temple, right? Here's kind of a model. We've shown this a couple weeks ago of what the temple looked like. This is just, you know, they're probably somewhere in here. Right? And what do you know about the temple? You know that if you were not Jewish, you could not go through this gate called the beautiful gate. If you even tried to get close to it, you would be tackled and maybe even killed. You, if you were a Gentile, could stand out here in what's called the court of the Gentiles. All right? This is where you could stand. You couldn't go into the stadium. This is a private club. Right? You're allowed out here. In fact, there's actually a stone and you, you can see this if you're in Istanbul from the first century that says, this is the translation, no foreigners are to go beyond this mark and the plaza of the temple zone, whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. All right, so that's how they felt about outsiders. You're not in the club, that's what happens. But here he is inside the club saying, this is the one I've been waiting for, the one who will rescue Israel and the Roman soldiers that are sitting right outside, the Gentiles, right? It's just a stunning statement. That this unlikely couple, this, this, this little baby who's 40 days old is the deliverer and the savior of not only Israel, but of the Gentiles of, of us, which by the way, would have been a huge encouragement for this, the, the, the recipient of this book, remember was a Gentile named Theophilus who's wondering, do I belong? Where do I fit? I'm a Gentile and a very Jewish deal. And he's saying, no, 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 this Messiah, this baby came to save every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every background, no matter how dark, because one day you will see them all around the throne of this one who is king, worshiping all nations, all people, right? And now Simeon is just, he's getting a head start on everybody else. He's worshiping now, right? Saying, this is the one. And if you could talk to him, After years and years of waiting, he would say, it was worth the wait. Here he is. And his mom and his dad, I love their response. They marveled. They marveled. It's a word that means astonished. They were amazed. 
You're telling me that this little guy who cries and wakes up five times a night to eat and messes his diaper six times a day and can't even hold his head up yet? He's got a little peach fuzz on the side and he's bald over here. That's the one? That's the one. That is the one, right? And they marvel. And how do, you know, and there's so many questions I have. How did Simeon know that he was the baby? How did they know he's not a wacko? I mean, there's so many things, but it is, it is a, it's a miracle. And then Simeon, holding the baby, looks at his mama, and he says some things that no mama wants to hear. What mamas want to hear is, oh, he's so cute. He looks like his father. This one doesn't look like his father, because he's not really his father. He looks like his mother, but he doesn't look like Joseph. Looks like Mary. But what does he say to her? He says, he blesses them and says, Mary, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. There's our title. That's why he's here. He, there will be a fall and rising. He is the dividing line. This is the continental divide. The water, water either runs off this way or it runs this way. There is no other option. There will either be a fall or there will be a rising. You can't say, well, isn't there a third option? No. It's like me. Growing up in Philly, there was one sports team you could root for, the Eagles. And it didn't matter where else. You've, oh, I'm a Dallas fan. No, oh, that's evil. That's sinful, the evil. I mean, you're like the worst enemy. But you could say, well, I, I, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. I, I grew up in Seattle. It doesn't matter. You are either for us or you're against us. That's the idea. There is, there is only two options. There will be a fall or a rising. That is it based on this, this child, right? He will divide everything, including our calendar, because everything before him is BC and everything after him is Anno Domini. A.D., right? He, and people are still divided over who he was and what he said and what he did, right? And he says, not only, not only will there be a fall and rising, there, there, he will be a sign that is opposed. He will be opposed his entire life. There will be conflict and, and just strife around your son for the rest of his life. So much so that a sword, Mary, will pierce your own soul. How'd you like to hear that? This child will pierce your soul, Mary. And one day we'll see, a couple, couple chapters later, that this baby will grow into a man and he will, be in the ver- he will be literally a couple hundred yards from the spot he is now, there to deliver the people who have been waiting so long for him and they will have rejected him and they will have nailed him to a Roman cross and Mary will be standing there looking up at her firstborn, her soul pierced. Not exactly words a mama wants to hear, right? And and that's really the end of Simeon. Then we jump to our second person, which is a lady named Anna, who's also waiting, right? And so there's a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she's 84. And the text is a little bit ambiguous. She's either 84 years old, having been a widow for like 60 plus years, or she's been a widow for 84 years, which makes her like 105, which I would tend to think probably more she's, she's 84, but it's possible. Either way, she was a young widow, and for 60-plus years, all she did was she goes to the temple every day, and she worships and fasts. And so every year when you'd go up to the temple for Passover or some of these other feasts, and, and, the, and dads would be walking up with their little boys and say, Dad, do you think the crazy tambourine lady's up there still? 
Because that's how I picture her, like the kind of charismatic, carrying a tambourine, walking around the temple. That's her. And so she's probably got some cats, you know, following her along or something, right? I don't know if cats were allowed in the temple, doubtful. But so they're like, you think the crazy cat lady's going to be up? Yeah, she was there when I was a kid. She's been there for like 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, every day just at the temple, praying for people, shaking her tambourine, praising God, walking around, dancing, right? And, and she hears somehow about, about baby Jesus. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting. There's it is again. Those who are waiting for redemption. Those who are just longing to be rescued. So how sad. She'd been a widow for that many years and just going to church. That's a, that's a sad life, right? She don't seem too sad. She seems to be one of the most joyful people in the text, right? Telling everybody, here he is. I, I saw the baby Jesus. He's over there. Messiah's over there. See that kind of, that 14-year-old girl? She's, she's kind of, you know, look, looks real shabby. That's the Messiah. He's going to rescue us. And what's strange about this whole text is the two people that have been waiting are so happy, and it doesn't seem like anyone else is. I mean, all these people are coming to the temple to worship God, to meet with God. This is the one place on earth for the, for the Israelites where they would meet with God and they would atone for sin and, and they would pray and, and they're there and they're praying to God and there he is 10 yards away and they miss it. He's sitting there. The creator of the universe is like right there wearing a, a little Jewish onesie and they miss it. And no, everyone seems to just ignore her and him. And what's really strange to me about this text is they're so joyful and they're so happy and excited and they're like dancing around. But yet the message that Simeon tells Mary is depressing, isn't it? It's dark. I mean, he's, he's, it's not exactly good news, seemingly. He says things like sword and conflict and division and fall and rising. That doesn't sound like good news to me. That's like Ebenezer Scrooge news. That's like Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. I mean, that's not, you know, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. But here's the thing about it. It is good news for those who are lost, right? I mean, it, this is the greatest news for those who are lost. And if you think about the language that both of these folks have used, the consolation of Israel. Who needs consolation? Who needs comfort? Hurting, broken people, right? The, the, I've been waiting for the salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Who needs salvation? People who are lost and hopeless. Light to the Gentiles. Who needs light? We just read it earlier to open the, open the, uh, the service. People walking in darkness need light, don't they? People who are blind need light. I, I've seen your redemption. Who needs redemption? Someone who's enslaved, someone who is in prison, someone who is trapped. See, to the lost person, to the blind, to the, to the hurting, to the broken, to the enslaved, this is, this is the greatest news. And, it, and it's worth the wait because this one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, is sitting there in the arms of a 14-year-old. He is all the themes that we've been celebrating with Advent wrapped into one. He is hope. He is the only hope for a lost world. 
He is joy. He is the source of true contentment and joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is the one who brings the only peace that matters, peace with God for sinners who are at enmity with him. He is the model of love for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And because he is here, that, that little baby will set his eyes and set his gaze on the city of Jerusalem for the rest of his, his earthly ministry. In fact, the Gospel of Luke, as we see as we work through, constantly drops these hints that he's going to Jerusalem, that he's turning his face towards Jerusalem, that he's heading towards Jerusalem. Why? Because everything he came to do is accomplished in Jerusalem. And it's real interesting that the only narratives we even get from Jesus' childhood and, and baby right here when he's you know, 40 days old and then next, next week we'll see when he's 12 years old, it's where? It's all in Jerusalem because everything is going to happen in Jerusalem. And he's, he's, he's fixing his gaze there because there in Jerusalem will be a fall and a rising. There will be a fall on a Roman cross. But he, there will also be a rising. And the word for rising in the Greek is the exact same word that we use and say a resurrection. Right? It's just kind of veiled, not only what our response is, there will be a fall rising, but what Jesus would come to do, to fall and to rise. And what I want to encourage us tonight as a church is it is worth the wait. And there's some people in this church that are waiting on a lot of things, waiting for the pain to go away, waiting to get married, waiting to have kids, waiting for a job, waiting to hear from the college. There's a lot of waiting going on. And, and you may get the thing that you want, and may, you may not. But the only thing that is truly worth the wait, and this is what Advent is about. Advent is about waiting, not for the first Advent of Jesus, but the second. And so how do you know he'll come back again? Well, the same way that Simeon knew he would come the first time, according to your word. According to your word. You did what you said. And for people who are lost, he is worth the wait. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, still waiting. Still waiting for the king to return. And for those of you who are waiting and are ready, I promise you this, on the authority of Christ, it will be worth the wait when you see the risen savior, the king of kings, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting God, the prince of peace return. And for those of you who are here tonight, and there's probably a bunch of us, that, that you have not put your faith in Jesus, you wouldn't identify as a Christian, you would just, you know, kind of it's Christmas, and we're so glad you're here on Christmas, but we're here to invite you to do what all of us who are Christians have done, is to put our faith and trust in the one who came as a babe, who died as our substitute on a cross, who rose again, and who will one day return as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's, that's what Christmas is is all about, Charlie Brown. That's what it's all about. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And his earthly name is Jesus. Why Jesus? The angel tells us. Because he will save his people from their sins. And his name means Yahweh saves. And so we're here to worship him. We're here to wait on him because he, brothers and sisters, is worth the wait.
So we're going to worship him tonight, and we're going to sing some more songs that you're, that you're familiar with, that you know, but that just remind us of this truth. And then we're going to go and eat at Applebee's and be very disappointed. Let me pray. <laughs> Father, I pray as we wait for the return of Christ and we remember the first coming tonight of Christ, that you... Uh, in this building and in so many other buildings right now that of people gathered, that you would be glorified as we, we long for our Savior, our King, who came as a babe to return. Father, for the person in this room that does not know Christ, and there are some I know that, that they're, just kind of, they're here, maybe they, they were brought by a friend, maybe they, uh, this is the kind of traditional thing to do, but they don't know for certain that they have their sins forgiven because of faith in you. I just pray that you would open their eyes to the glory of the babe in a manger, but yet the king of kings, and just marvel at how Jesus came to save all of us from our sins, and he did so. He was victorious. Uh, be glorified as we worship, Lord Jesus, as we sing to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You guys can stand with us.